It is midday here on a Monday, and we are we have our roundtable discussion ready to go. It, typically, we play Where is Susan? Sort of a Where is Waldo thing. She's here. I'm here. I, I don't know what to do about it. It's crazy. I'm excited. Well, we are too. You sound like alive and everything. I so, know. Usually I sound dead. Well, yeah. No. <laughs> So, Memorax. So, well, know. something like that. So, big day here, of course, of the Rural Radio Network. Tell us what you got going well, we on. Well, we got lots of things coming up here over the midday. Of course, we'll be hearing at 1219. Chad Moyer is going to be talking to Dim Van Overbeek. She is with Oklahoma State on the National Beef Quality Audit and where they've been and what is going to happen as they move towards the future. Oklahoma, of course, will not have a beef checkoff. It was voted down. Hmm. So, there's a lot of uh, discussion, hmm. misinformation, name blame. I mean the whole thing going on in Oklahoma. Good thing we're farther north, right? It's good to be good to be in Nebraska. Yeah, twelve forty-five. We're going to hear from Tim Andreessen with Shaley Peters, the CME and risk management. Then EPA. They were at our farm broadcasters convention last week, so Chabella Guzman's going to sit down and talk with them at one seventeen. Mm, I bet that was interesting too. Yeah, very much so. I bet. Okay. We did. You want to say anything about? The the football game? The Gophers. The The Gophers. Gophers. God love the Gophers. Look at that face. He's not even reacting. (laughs) It was a great game. I love the photo on a a local statewide newspaper. I may have to frame that in my office for a while. Okay, and I said it about that. Good for you. We'll move over to Jason. We will not... (laughs) Speak of that, and uh, let's don't get on. used to it. It helps on the way. <laughs> you know, I don't care. We just had to beat you this year, and that was my goal. So well, life you, is good. You definitely did. Yeah. So, hey, we got some uh, football, high school football. That's right. A about. decent day for you. you get yeah. to semifinals. You ever know what you will run into in semifinals in classes D one and D two for the eight man ranks taking place across the state of Nebraska. Also, along with the Huskers struggling this year, the <laughs> Broncos are struggling this oh. year. They were ripped apart last night by Tom Brady. Give me the lowdown on that. Also coming up in sports, Nebraska men's basketball team, uh, they remain very busy. They played on Saturday night, just squeaked past Eastern Illinois. <laughs> Powerhouse. A very Tim Miles-like victory over a overmatched non-conference opponent. And uh, tonight, they'll take on North Texas. Hopefully the Huskers play a little bit better and things aren't quite so tight. Now, the, now the uh, folks who saw that game, it was not on TV. Right. They claim Eastern Illinois had some dudes. That was not a bad basketball team. Okay. Well, and I'm hearing Nebraska's at least a little bigger than they have been in the past. They have a little so. more versatility. We'll get the thoughts of Coach Miles about that. Also, the Husker volleyball team continues to roll along. The arm of machine is a swept Rutgers yesterday. Wasn't this a rebuilding year? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Rebuilding year. Okay. That's how he sold it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. North Texas, the uh, green... Uh, mean green. Mean green. I almost said Greenway, but that was Tulane. Well, hey, we've got Bob Brogan to make sense of all of this today. Who better? What do you got for us today, Bob? stocks are wavering between small gains and losses in midday trading. President Donald Trump getting involved with Republican lawmakers, asking them to... Uh, get more aggressive with their tax proposals. He says pull the plug on the individual mandate in the Affordable Care Act. So he's getting directly involved in all of that. Also, uh, General Electric to slash its quarterly dividend in half, and Qualcomm rejects an offer from Broadcom. Those are some of the stories we're following. Midday coming our way. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. 
It is 11.44. Time to take a look at our regional ag weather brought to you this time by Tonnage's Chevrolet. I am not Paul Perkins, but I'm going to do the best I can do for you here. It's actually pretty pleasant out right now, 44 degrees, expecting to get up into the 50s. Barometer falling right now at 30.19. We're going to see some high pressure pushing east, and that's going to result in some south winds today. And we're going to continue those mild temperatures. A few more clouds will roll in tonight and tomorrow with low pressure and a warm front. Temperatures tomorrow will be the warmest of the next seven days, so enjoy it. Temperatures cool down slightly but remain slightly warmer than normal on Wednesday and Thursday behind the passage of a cold front. And due to a lack of moisture, the forecast will remain dry. Snow and rain are possible Friday and Friday night with that cold front. Temperatures will cool slightly to near normal for the weekend. And strong north winds behind that front will be the most noticeable change. In the long-term forecast, there is a likelihood of warmer-than-normal temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through November 26th. Near normal to below normal precipitation is expected in Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through that 26th of November. Weather factors driving the market trade include precipitation hindering harvest in the eastern Midwest and better rain chances in central Brazil. For much of this week, mild weather should cover the western and central U.S. while cool conditions will prevail in the east. Late in the week, a new surge of cold air will overspread the Midwest and northeast with breezy and rainy conditions. Rainfall totals could reach 1 to 2 inches in parts of the Midwest with rain changing to snow after colder air arrives. This will keep harvest progress slow in eastern Midwest and especially Indiana and Ohio. Harvest conditions in the western Midwest will be mostly favorable. In the southern plain, soil moisture levels remain favorable for developing winter wheat. Closing closer to winter dormancy, there are concerns a drying trend may emerge. The rain pattern of in central Brazil continues to improve for planting and developing soybeans. In wet areas of southern Brazil, a break in the rain this last weekend helped improve conditions for planting. Rain will return late this week and maintain favorable soil moisture levels, but slow field work. Argentina's conditions are favorable for planting and development of corn and soybeans and developing of winter wheat. So that's a look at our regional ag weather. And uh, again, as I mentioned, it's decent today, going to be a little nicer tomorrow, but that barometric pressure really falling through the floor right now. It's sitting at 30 point. 1944 degrees here at the Lexington studios of KRVM. May be putting farmland at risk. I'm Shaylee Peters with a midday check of your ag news here on the Rural Radio Network. The draining of a massive aquifer that underlies portions of the eight states in the central U.S. is drying up streams, causing fish to disappear and threatening the livelihood of farmers who rely on it for their crops. Water levels in the Ogallala Aquifer have been dropping for decades as irrigators pump water faster than rainfall can recharge it. An analysis of federal data found the Ogallala Aquifer shrank twice as fast over the past six years compared with the previous 60. Also known as the High Plains Aquifer, the Ogallala underlies 175,000 square miles, including parts of Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, Nebraska, New Mexico, Oklahoma, South Dakota, and Texas. That's one of the primary agricultural regions of the U.S., producing 
$35 billion in crops annually. Farmers and ranchers have been tapping into the aquifer since the 1930s to boost production and help them get by in times of drought. However, overpumping has dried up 358 miles of surface rivers and streams across a 200-square-mile area covering eastern Colorado, western Kansas, and Nebraska, according to researchers from Colorado State University and Kansas State University. If farmers keep pumping water at the current pace, another 177 miles of rivers and streams will be lost before 2060, the researchers determined. And a November 15th deadline to report on-air farm emissions is looming. The National Pork Producers Council and the U.S. Poultry and Egg Association filed a brief in support of an Environmental Protection Agency motion to delay a mandate that farmers report certain air emissions from manure on their farms. Back in April, a federal court threw out an exemption for farms from reporting hazardous air emissions under the Comprehensive Environmental Response Act and the Emergency Community Response Right to Know Act. The court made the move after environmental groups sued the EPA in federal court. Between 60,000 and 100,000 lives Stock and poultry farmers will have to file air emission reports with the U.S. Coast Guard National Response Center. They'll also have to file written reports to a local EPA office within 30 days of filing with the NRC. Some farmers have already tried to file reports, and the NRC phone systems has been overwhelmed. Operators are refusing to accept reports from more than one farm per call because they're worried about not being able to respond to emergencies. In filing the delay request, the EPA told the court it wants time to give farmers specific guidance on how to file those reports. And ranchers who want to reduce calf loss at calving and to learn how to properly assist cows at calving should plan to attend Assisting the Beef Cow at Calving programs at six locations this upcoming December with Dr. Robert Mortimer, a nationally known veterinarian from Colorado State University. The cost is $20, which can be paid at the door. Pre-registration at least two days prior to the meeting is requested to ensure enough program materials are available. The locations include December 11th at Bridgeport and Gedmanson Sand. Hills Lab near Whitman, December 12th at Broken Bow and O'Neill, and December 13th at Kearney and North Platte. And China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs announced on its website that it would again allow U.S. distillers dried grains with solubles, DDGS, to be imported without charging an 11% value-added tax or VAT, the U.S. Grains Council reported recently. The announcement was made in a report of key areas of consensus between the United States and China during President Donald Trump's official visit last week. The council's staff member in China and the United States have been working closely with the U.S government at the highest levels for nearly a year to emphasize the importance of this 1.5 billion dollar market to the u.s grains and ethanol industries and that's a quick check of your midday ag news i'm shaley peters on the rural radio network on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chad Moyer. Good afternoon. The National Beef Quality Audit is approaching its 25th anniversary. And to talk a little bit about how it has served the beef industry is Deb Van Overbeck. She is on faculty at Oklahoma State University. Well, the first audit was done in 1991 after we did a lost opportunities paper and they saw how much value we were losing due to quality defects. And so now with the 2016 audit, we really have this 25-year kind of snapshot of how quality has changed and improved over time. All right, and so what would you say have been the, first of all, the the major improvements in beef quality audit in that time? So if you think back to the 1991 audit, two of the big factors from that fed steer and heifer audit included the frequency of injection site lesions and excess fat. 
and both those are issues that you don't hear about today on the Fed steer and heifer side. And so those are two big success stories. And so while we've counteracted kind of some of the issues that we saw early, there's new issues and new things we can start to worry about, not necessarily worry about, but address as we look at the beef quality audit and what that means for producers. Yeah, so what is the focus now? What what uh, what has the audit really helped address more recently? Great question. So the 2016 audit encompassed fed steers and heifers as well as market cows and bulls. And when we look at, at the first phase, which is our face-to-face interviews with end users, so packers, retail, food service, purveyors, um, one of the things we really realize when we do those interviews is, one, there's a disconnect between how producers define certain words in the industry and how those individuals define words. For example, genetics. To genetics, producer to end users, genetics is what color that animal is. Mm-hmm. And obviously we have a different definition as producers into what that term means. Um, so that's just one example. The one's beef quality assurance, that those end users don't really understand that we use beef quality assurance production practices um, while we're going through our daily business. And so getting that term to them so that they understand what that means and what it what it means to animal health, animal welfare, all those types of things um, is a way that we can kind of improve our track record, if you will, with those people. Okay, so those are things that are currently being addressed. Do you think there are things in the beef industry that haven't been addressed that Beef Quality Audit has the opportunity to help on? Well, that's a really good question. You know, we talk about things like communication from producers through end users and a more open stream of communication flow. Um, Does that happen today? Not necessarily, but could it? Potentially, it's a bigger challenge, right? So um, we've obviously seen things change in terms of discussion points. You didn't talk a whole lot about concern with antibiotic use. Um, In the early 90s, we talked more about residues, but now it's how we're using those antibiotics and our, our ability to actually use them in production systems. And so market signals, communication, all those things are are tied to the beef quality audit from a standpoint of understanding what happens, but they impact beef prices as well. So you said that 25 years ago this started with a uh, with a study of lost value. Is, is there a way to pinpoint how valuable this beef quality audit is to a producer today? You know, that's really challenging to do. We do have a panel that will be at the Cattlemen's College in January at convention that's going to look at a new lost opportunities paper, and so we'll hope to have that information out then. All right. So just as we wrap up, um, how do you see the, uh, the the beef quality audit moving forward? You know, we do this project about every five years, and so looking at um, continuing the communication with our packers, purveyors, retail, restaurants to try to figure out what issues they're hearing about, I think helps keep us grounded in what areas we need to focus on. Again, Deb Van Overbeck, a faculty member at Oklahoma State University. Here on the Rural Radio Network, Chad Moyer reporting. Twelve twenty-five. Time to take a look at sports. Here's Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks. Well, Denver is no longer Tom Brady's house of horrors, and the Broncos sure don't scare anybody anymore. Brady threw three touchdown passes. Its Patriots matched their own AFC record with their twelfth consecutive road victory, pummeling the Broncos last night, forty-one to sixteen. Brady's 86th regular season road win broke a tie that he'd shared with Peyton Manning for most all time. In college football action, Miami is back at number two in the Associated Press College Football Poll. It's a Hurricanes best ranking since 2003. They went up five spots from number seven after routing Notre Dame on Saturday night. 
Alabama remains number one where it started this season. Miami received the other first-place votes. Oklahoma moved up two spots to number three. Well, the 2018 field for the NCAA Division II football championship includes MIAA regular season champion Fort Hayes State and two-time defending national champion Northwest Missouri. Fort Hayes earned a bye as a top seed in the Super Regional 3. The Tigers just completed an undefeated regular season, setting a program record for number of wins in a year, besting the previous record of eight. This is Fort Hayes State's first NCAA playoff appearance since the mid-90s and third overall. It also will be Fort Hayes State's first ever home game in the playoffs. Now, 6C Northwest Missouri is on the other side of the Super Region 3 bracket. They will travel to Ashland, Ohio for a first-round matchup against third-seeded Ashland University. That is set for this Saturday. Ashland went 10-1 on the season. Well, the Husker men's basketball team looks to improve to 2-0 on the season tonight as they take on North Texas at Pinnacle Bank Arena. Now, the Huskers had a close one on Saturday night as they fought off Eastern Illinois, and head coach Tim Miles feels he has options this year, and that's a good thing. Uh, what I like about our team is our versatility. Is We were able to play small tonight and not play our bigs a lot of minutes. We're going to need our bigs a lot this year. It's just tonight. It wasn't the right matchup. Tip-off tonight in Lincoln is set for seven. And the sixth-ranked Nebraska volleyball team swept Rutgers yesterday in front of a crowd of more than 8,100. The Huskers extended their winning streak to nine matches. That's the longest of the year. With four matches remaining in the regular season, Nebraska remains tied with Penn State atop Big Ten standings. State high school football playoffs continue in the eight-man ranks with semifinal action today in Class D1. It is Howells Dodge at East Butler. They'll play that game in Dwight. Kickoff is set for seven. In the West semifinals, South Loop will host Medicine Valley. That one kicks off at six in Callaway. In D2 action, Mullen is hosting Blue Hill this afternoon. That one will start at two mountain time. And in the East, it's BDS at home against Falls City Sacred Heart with kickoff at six. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Tonight in Nebraska, it'll be partly cloudy statewide with patchy fog in the east. Lows, low 30s in the west to lower 40s in the east. I'm Dave Schroeder. A Nebraska lawmaker says the state is struggling to offer mental health services as it moves from state-run regional centers to locally-run operations. The state has made the decision to switch from institutional care to local programs more than a decade ago. Senator Paul Shoemaker says that while the state has saved money by closing regional centers, local programs haven't received enough funding. Shoemaker says that's led to a real deficiency in mental health services, particularly in rural communities. Senator John Stinner says there isn't money in the budget to fund the programs. The state is projected to have a $195 million revenue shortfall for the upcoming biennium. Deputy Platte County Attorney Elizabeth Lay says the state needs to rethink its mental health care system and focus on individual care. A 59-year-old man has died from injury sustained when a car struck him in downtown Columbus. Timothy Kneifel was pronounced dead Sunday at the Omaha Hospital one day after the accident. Authorities say a 2008 Mazda sedan driven by 51-year-old Kimberly Clausen of Columbus struck Kneifel as he crossed the street. Kneifel was not in a crosswalk but was a short distance from the intersection. Authorities say alcohol, drugs, and speed were not factors in the accident, which happened around 6 p.m. Saturday evening. Charges are not expected to be filed. 
This coming week, the House of Representatives and the Senate are expected to take up separate versions of a tax reform bill. President Trump has said he wants the bill passed by Christmas. And during an appearance on Fox News Sunday, Republican Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas, chair of the Tax Writing House Ways and Means Committee, said he expects the House to pass its version by Thanksgiving. I believe it will. Uh, I feel there's strong support for this. Uh, we continue to make improvements at every step in the way, but I'll tell you what, our, our Republicans in the House know that it is time to deliver uh, on this economy and grow these paychecks by, by getting rid of this, this current tax code. That's exactly what we're going to do. Both versions aim to cut taxes and simplify the tax filing process. A Kansas Legislative Task Force on Child Welfare is meeting this week after several legislators raised concerns about how Kansas policies are affecting families. The Child Welfare Task Force is scheduled to meet at the State House this week. The task force's meeting comes after a joint Legislative Budget Committee review showed data that 44,000 people have become ineligible for cash assistance under policies that include work requirements for able-bodied adults. Your phone is just one click away from closings and cancellations when you use our app. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. And I was recently down in Kansas City at the National Association of Farm Broadcasters meeting. And I had a chance to catch up with Tim Andreessen, the Managing Director of Agricultural Products with the CME Group. And we talked about risk management tools for 2018. Yeah, you know, we've, we've been through a period of time, particularly around corn and beans, where, you know, We've had good yields and we've had good prices. And eventually you have enough years with good yields, guess what happens? Prices go down. And if you start to look at the numbers, you know, 20 cents isn't, well, I'd like to get it. It's, I need to get it to cover my break even. So, you know, risk management becomes more and more important in, in situations like this. And really something that if guys are on the fence about when they look at what their options are, so to speak, when they look at what their options are, really getting out there and putting a plan together instead of maybe just selling off based off emotion or, or selling, you know, oh, it's harvest, so we're just going to go with whatever the price is. You know, and, and, and the interesting thing is there are more marketing alternatives now than there have ever been. There are more tools than there have ever been. Um, I remember when I got in the grain business in the 80s, in 1984, the Board of Trade uh, launched options on futures. And since then, you know, we've gone from just basic options to a range of different products. So there's all of these tools out there to help you become a more effective marketer. But that also means you have to learn more and you really have to have help in many cases to understand how these things work. And, you know, one of the things we're very big advocates of is for... For somebody who, um, you know, particularly if they're more focused on production, is to look to get a good marketing advisor to work with or get a good broker to work with. Somebody that can really get to understand your business, understands your cost structure, understands your risk profile, and more importantly, understands the products and start to have a comprehensive strategy of what we're trying to do. Um, you know, what are my cash flow needs? Do I have to sell off the combine? If I do, can I replace the grain I sell with, with a call option so I can stay in the market? Uh, what is my exposure next year? What do I think I'm going to produce? You know, should I be buying options to lock in a minimum price? Should I be selling ahead? What should I be doing? 
Um, those are those are you know decisions that farmers historically they're they're much more happy saying I want to plant this or have this color machinery or you know here's how much nitrogen I'm going to put on. You know those other decisions are important as well. Yes, and it's important to find somebody if you're a little uneasy yourself, somebody that's willing to do that for you and and really make those decisions. Transitioning just a little bit. Um, when we talk about risk management, also coming to play in for our livestock producers. Uh, go into that. Well, I think it's the same thing with livestock. I mean, we've we've seen some, you know, the market improve. Um, what's very, been very interesting is, for example, feeders right now. We have set open interest records literally every day for the last couple of weeks on feeders. So, you know, we're seeing people become very, very active risk managers in, in the livestock space. Uh, you know, earlier this year, we saw record open interest set in live cattle. So, you know, we went through a big down cycle in the cattle markets, and I think people have now said, hey, listen, when it gets a little bit higher, I'm going to be a much more aggressive risk manager than I was in the past. And they need to be. And one thing with livestock, too, and I know the CME Group has addressed this, is the volatility that we've seen in the livestock market. And so, really essentially being able to take advantage of those runs up and protecting yourself when it decides to jump back down. Well, there's there's a lot of things that drive volatility in the markets, weather, trade policy, the price of the dollar, um, all of those things, which are pretty much out of the control of the exchange and, and very much out of the control of the average producer. What is in the control of the average producer, though, is the ability to manage that risk and, and to proactively use hedging and strategies like that. Right. Anything additionally while I've got you here, Tim? Well, one of the things that we're, we're a big advocate for is education. And not just education of the farm community, but equally important is education of, of the urban community. So one of the things we've been focused on over the last five summers is a project we call Commodity Carnival, where we're at state fairs and county fairs. And uh, it is actually livestock-focused. But, you know, one of our concerns is as we're seeing a migration of people more from the country to the city, you know, the average kid doesn't understand where his food comes from. And we think it's really important that we're part of helping to educate them about the food chain, the role of the farmer in the food chain, the fact that there's risk in the food chain, and, and you know, help them appreciate where the food that they're getting comes from. What's been the response with that? It's been very, very strong. Um, you know, over the last five years, we've been at country fairs, uh, we've been at um, state fairs, and and last year we or two years ago we launched an app. So the app is actually a lot of fun. It's you know I, I would encourage you and everybody to download it. It's it's a lot of fun, but it's also educational. It talks to you about how to do that. So the the feedback has been very strong. What's actually been really powerful about it this as well is it's been a partnership between us and 4-H. And they have been phenomenal in, in helping to drive this into manning booths and, and running the game at all of these fairs. Again, hearing from Tim Andreessen, Managing Director of Agricultural Products with the CME Group, talking about some risk management tools moving into the 2018 growing season and their commodity carnival. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Back on the Rural Radio Network as we get a review of the livestock futures trade from Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe. Yeah, interesting day today in the cattle. It was just a racetrack, uh, back and forth, up and down. Uh, boy, I'll tell you what, uh, volatility uh, has survived in the cattle market. 
But anyway, uh, we're going to finish the day uh, with the decent cattle unchanged, the rest of them all lower in the feeders. November, up 22, the rest all lower. So it was uh, a day of uh, apparently uh, uh, a fight to see which direction we wanted to go. And uh, obviously, uh, for the most part, it ends up being lower. But uh, nothing uh, in the uh, trade. Cutouts were lower at noon. And uh, so no trade uh, out in the country. And only thing we had to do is go up by uh, last week's trade. So uh, still uh, looks like uh, we're uh, kind of hanging on the uh, precipice here uh, uh, with a downward uh, move. Over the hogs, uh, there, the uh, May contract lower, the rest higher. So it was, uh, uh, well, the exception there, Dees, too. But uh, Dees goes off the board uh, here uh, on the 14th. So uh, very choppy day there. Cash steady to lower once again, but uh, the hogs able to uh, manage to be uh, mixed throughout the session. So uh, really... Uh, it is all in the cattle today. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal can be reached at Great Plains Commodities, 800-328-0134. Dewey Nelson reporting. Now the latest ag information. While most of the media attention this week is on the upcoming tax reform votes, the ag industry increasingly anxious about possible pullbacks from NAFTA markets. In addition, 11 Pacific nations now have a framework to salvage a trade deal the United States once led. A blockbuster deal that President Trump abandoned, according to Bloomberg. Japanese economy minister said the 11 remaining members of the Trans-Pacific Partnership had agreed on a negotiating framework to salvage the deal. Canada, which had held out for a day on signing on to the agreement, said it had won some desired concessions while warning that work is needed to reach a full deal. They spoke to reporters in Vietnam late Friday night after ministers held another meeting and confirmed their content of the broad agreement. President Trump's focus on trade on his Asian trip continued as he arrived last week at that summit and said when the United States enters into a trading relationship with other countries or other people, we will from now on expect that our partners will faithfully follow the rules like we do. Russia says it wants to import up to 300,000 metric tons of beef a year from Mexico as the two countries strengthen bilateral trade in farm goods. With Russian beef production stagnating and demand showing signs of recovery, other Latin American nations are also looking to boost sales to the country over the coming months. Strong domestic and foreign demand for beef drove revenue and profit growth uh, that uh, at Tyson Foods, rather, Tyson said the pork market also helped results as a price increase offset a volume decline in the company's fourth quarter. Tyson said it now expects sales to increase 7% in its fiscal 2018, which began in October, to about $41 billion, helped by the recent acquisition and higher chicken prices. That mark is higher than the $40.4 billion that analysts had expected. 
The draining of the big aquifer that underlies portions of eight states in the central U.S. is drying up streams, causing fish to disappear and threatening the livelihood of farmers who rely on it for their crops. Water levels in the Ogallala Aquifer have been dropping, and um, an analysis of federal data found the Ogallala Aquifer shrank twice as fast over the past six years compared to the previous 60. Now, this is a report out of the Denver Post. The drawdown has become so severe that streams are drying at a rate of six miles per year. Some highly resilient fish are disappearing in rural areas. Some farmers and ranchers worry that they'll no longer have enough water for their livestock and crops as the aquifer is depleted. Now, the aquifer, according to the Geological Survey, in a June report, lost 10.7 million acre-feet of storage between the years 2013 and 2015. Now, one of those who lives west of Cope, Colorado, this is uh, north of the frequently bone-dry bed of the Arikari River in eastern Colorado, says, Now I never know from one minute or the next when I turn on a faucet or hydrant whether there will be water or not. U.S. wheat farmers losing out to an old rival, Russia. The 83 million tons of wheat Russian farmers are forecast to have reaped this year has cemented that country's resurgence as an agricultural superpower and now has ratcheted up the pres- pressure rather on U.S. farmers. There's the latest ag information on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we're with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. This week, to start out, has been negative. Tell us why. Well, I just think the easiest way, the way forward is down. You know, technically beans got hit here, uh, broke a trend line there right around, say, the 985 level, 983. And it just kind of flushed down and, uh, you know, saw some new longs washed out. Uh, that takes us back almost to $10 now in the May contract. So beans without a story from the, uh, you know, CBOT brethren here. It's kind of a difficult time rallying. Uh, you know, right now weather in South America really not an issue. So I think you're just seeing some, some longs here get uh, get broken. and. I think maybe we pull back to 960. That seems to be a level where uh, market's been a little more comfortable uh, over the longer run. Overall, you mentioned 200-day moving average breaking below that. So now we look at uh, support and resistance. Where are we at? On beans, I'd say, yeah, I mean, like I said, 960, 965. I know there's some moving averages right below here. I'd expect those would hold. I mean, tomorrow will be a nice turnaround Tuesday to see beans higher. Uh, inspections are still pretty good uh, for the pace. Our export commitments aren't there. But on the high end, I'd look for the March contract to have trouble at $10 again. You know, Jan got up there and really fell apart. Now maybe it'll be March's turn to try to test it uh, again without weather problem. I, I don't weather problem or the rest of the row crop complex coming higher. I don't think beans are, are going to follow through above those levels. Dollar index is higher again today. The value of the dollar against some currencies is higher. Maybe that had something to do with the uh, the poor showing today. Yeah, I think that's probably part of it. The trend really has been uh, you know sideways to lower for for the dollar, but I, I worry here we're going to we're going to break higher. You have. I don't want to say it's a certainty, but I think the trade pretty much assumes we're going to have a, a rate hike here in in, uh, in December. Now, you know, that could be bullish for growth and, and some other factors to get corn moving, but uh, I think in the short run it just makes us a little more, a little less competitive. Brazil is moving a lot of products, so global corn demand is there. It's just we're not we're we're losing the the marginal business to uh, to our South American friends. 
uh, you know, looking back at some some of the March contract, I know a lot of guys have, have talked to me about reowning March. Uh, you know, I, every year, really going back to 15, we've we've made a run in here below 350 on the March. I think we'll probably see it at some point. Uh, 2014, we made a low in uh, around 334. 2015, I think it was right around the 348 level. 2016, we went down to the mid 330s last year, and then uh, of course we're at 352 right now. So or 354 right now. I, I think there's a little more to go. Uh, you know, I possibly could say 345 is a place to jump in. John Payne at Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. Go to danielzagmarketing.com. Again, Daniel Zag Marketing for John Payne at Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago.